Welcome to the Loop Podcast, the podcast that deep ties what works today when it comes to marketing to the modern buyer. I'm your host, John Beck, Global Head of Paid at Cognizim, and I'm delighted to be joined by my guest, Boris, Head of Paid Media at Santasia. Hi, Boris. How are you doing? Hello, hello. All good. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation and happy to be here. And thank you for coming. And I want to start with some recent news, some exciting news. Uh, you recently closed a new round and Santeza just became an officially unicorn. Uh, firstly, how does it feel to be in a unicorn? Um, shortly, it feels great. Uh, I, 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 have, <laughs> I, I, must, I must add that, to be, to be honest, I had very little to do with it because I joined the company very recently. So kind of all the credit goes to the to the team that has been there for a longer period of time and especially you know to, to the founders to the victor and stefan it's an amazing journey what they have managed to accomplish in five six 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 years and kind of where they have taken the company from and and where are we now so definitely everybody in the company like we, we knew before the official announcement announcement that this is happening but actually when we were allowed to share everybody was really really happy uh, we got a lot of brand traffic for sure to the website, so it created quite a lot of, quite a lot of hype. So, so definitely, it's uh, it's it's kind of like a, you know, it's one thing when, when you know internally in the company that you are onto something that you actually develop in something great and you're super passionate about, but once you get you know Series C, once you get extra funding, and also you have the special status put in you as a unicorn, it attracts the external eyes as well. Yeah. And all of a sudden, people are like, "Okay, these guys are these guys are onto something. Something is happening here. <laughs> like we we have to pay more attention to what they're doing, what the product is about, and things like that." So, so for me specifically, like selfishly in, in the paid team, like it helps a lot. Like first of all, with hiring, now I'm actually looking for a performance marketing marketing manager to to join our team. It's like extra extra help and extra extra hands and. People are mentioning this on the interviews, like, oh, we just seen you, like, you had Series C, you, you're officially now a $1 billion company. And it does help, like, bring great talent. So, essentially, you, you are choosing from the best, which is amazing. And obviously, like, from financial standpoint of view, you're, you're extending your runway. You can take strong, like, bigger bets. You have extra resources for the marketing team as well. So... On the one side, like it's, you know, it's emotionally great to undergo this and experience this. On the other hand, it also has the practical implications of extra, you know, hiring better talent, extra resources. But we, we, we do have to stay, you know, focused and hungry and agile because there's still like a lot of things that we need to do and a long road ahead of us. So I just like really, you know, it's great that we have the status, but it doesn't change anything. We still have a lot to do. Uh, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, you know, the feeling and, and kind of how it how it helps. Yeah, actually, I haven't thought about that practical implication of being a unicorn. And now that you told me, I was just thinking about my previous companies. And the first company I was working for uh, was a seed stage company. And it was the most chilling, challenging hiring environment. Then I went to a Series A company. The hiring was easier than to be B company. It was easier and Cognizim, it is the easiest. But I <laughs> never uh, was able to use the unicorn status. So probably from your stand of, uh, point, it would be much easier uh, for you to find new talent. 100%. And with this uh, new funding, uh, you said you are already looking to hire for someone out of the paid team. And 
uh, how are you thinking of scaling the team? How many people there are in the paid team right now and what is your plan? Yeah, so right now it's uh, it's four people in the team, including myself. Uh, so we have one more person, like performance marketing manager um, and myself. So we're kind of working on the activation side of things. Mm-hmm. So with, with my kind of Google experience, I took over the, the paid search and, and Google in particular. And then we have one more person who is kind of managing more uh, Meta and, uh, and LinkedIn. Uh, and then we also have two more members of the team that they are focusing primarily on creatives. We are super, super crazy about our creatives and we use a lot of video creatives. Yeah, and, I'm loving them, by the way. I'm loving them. And uh, yeah, we, sp- we spend a lot, of, a lot of time on creative analysis and like designing the concepts. Like it's, it, there is a lot that goes into making them happen. So we have two, actually like um, uh, two people that are working on, on the creative. So it's four people. So hopefully we'll have one more person joining relatively soon. So we'll be be five people in total i'm i actually can't wait to hire anyone it's like another another person just to have the like extra help um because yeah it's it's a, it's a lot of stuff to do so for all of our listeners they are hiring <laughs> and uh one thing you said actually in terms of the paid team structure uh you said two people are working on creatives uh and how does it like what I want to ask is that, okay, you have one person for Meta and uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you are working with uh, PPC site, with Google site. And how do you work with uh, those people who are uh, doing creatives, who are focused on creatives? Uh, like, do you ask them to come up with creatives or do they come to you and say, oh, we are uh, looking at these campaigns and we think these kind of creatives might work? Yeah, so it's actually a mixture of both. So one 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 thing that i think is super like working super well in our case and i think it's it's great and it's amazing that we've done it is that we are part of the same team we jo- like we have we join the same huddles we join the same calls we work on the same objectives so it's not like we have a creative team then we have performance marketing team those are separate teams with separate managers doing separate things there is a bit of disconnect silos and so on it's not like this in our case we actually working on the creative like jointly they they know what we are doing we know what, what the guys are doing. Uh, so it's really like a, a joint effort. And in terms of, um, you know, actually like producing the creatives themselves. So I'm, I'm really, really fortunate and super lucky to have such a strong team that they require really little handholding and kind of navigation, etc. And all of them have been in the company much longer than me since they joined like relatively recently. So they, they have they, like we have a very strong pipeline of ideas and pipeline of creatives that have been developed before. Which are we trying? Like we're trying to iterate and make them even better. So the creatives that we know worked in the past, we are like looking at the hook rates. We are looking like where do the people drop off? How do we optimize? Let's say call to action. How do we optimize the hook rate? And there are even scenarios when like we analyze the data and we see like the hook rate is so good, we are catching so many people, but they ultimately end up not converting. So like okay, how do we balance that? Like not to be too hooky and not to find like not to have too great hook because we're capturing too many people and we're not qualifying them uh, properly initially within the first few seconds. So I would come in like help a little bit with data. Another performance marketing manager would come in help a little bit with data. We would generate ideas on what we can improve, how can we improve. But then the team also has a lot of flexibility in terms of generating the concepts themselves, creating the scripts themselves. And we obviously would review it, we would give feedback initially when creatives have been developed or when they are produced, let's change this, let's try and that. So it's a, it's a very close collaboration. 
this is one area that I want to spend even more time on, like dedicate a little bit more time to creatives. Because I think we, we, we should be thinking about not only just, you know, how do we tweak the creative that, that it performs better from like machine learning perspective, like algorithm perspective, but also from messaging perspective, right? Like what type of messages land better? What type of USPs that we are communicating resonates more with, with, with the, our ICP, et cetera. So that's, that's an additional reason why I'm looking for extra, extra hands and extra help. So I can just focus a little bit, uh, a little bit on creatives as well. Cause like for Meta, it's, it's a it's massive uh, lever, right? If you don't have if you don't have great creatives for like Facebook, for Instagram, like you, you probably won't succeed with the best bidding strategy and with the best kind of data and pixel and and, yeah, and so on. So like we we have we have to get that that piece right. There's no there's no way around it. Amazing! Like I have so many questions right now, and I'll <laughs> as my questions. Uh, let me start from the last one, Meta Facebook. So uh, my account representatives from Facebook, they have been pushing really hard and they kept saying me lately that uh, the important thing for Facebook is the creative, not the audience, not the targeting. But if your creative is good, then the algorithm will find the most relevant people for the creative. Uh, did you hear the same thing? If you did, have you tested yeah, so that that's that's actually like I think that's that's partly true. Like it is true that creative is a super important part, and we see it, we know it. But there is also an additional part is is actually the data that you're optimizing towards, right? So what what kind of event are you optimizing towards? How how much of a lower funnel that event or that action is, and how frequently does it happen? If it happens only like five times a week, there's no way that Meta will ever optimize properly to that event so like for us it's actually a combination of both finding the right event that happens frequently enough and having a great creative and then we really don't over optimize for the audience and so on we try to qualify our qualify our audience within creatives we would say learning and development folks or things like that and then like algorithm itself within a few days kind of picks up and understand okay this is kind of the group of people i should be going for because the conversions are coming in uh, it's like it's working well, etc. So, I do agree with the with the creatives part, but I think you have to layer that on top with the right, you know, with the right event that you optimize into, or maybe even multiple events or like multiple actions that you um, that you're optimizing towards. So it 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 works for us, and we kind of continue down this road. Um, so yeah, I I do agree with the creative part, but I would just call out the the importance of the right event to optimize towards. Yeah, on the event side, there is such an interesting point that I actually never thought about it. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. Uh, in your case, uh, what are those events that happen all the time? In my case, actually, we optimize the campaigns uh, for pipeline. But apparently, it won't work on Facebook because we don't generate thousands of pipeline every week. Yeah. Yeah, so it's... Um... So like for us, like it's it's actually like one one is demo booking. It's the kind of the obvious one, but we also have a free AI like try a free AI video on the website oh. call to action that happens much more frequently. So we're kind of optimizing towards the like a sum of those events. Um, another alternative, like for those listening right now that might not have enough volume even with demo bookings or something like like a free demo or. Um, try a product for free or anything like that you could even optimize to like price page visits for example or like some kind of engagements on price visits or like clicking on the open demo booking button so just finding that event that signals an intent and balance the volume and the frequency 
So if if the event is like too low funnel, it won't work. If it's too up funnel, it won't work as well because you'll be like qualified, like you'll be bringing in too many irrelevant people. But if it's somewhere in the middle and you can, if you have like a specific, I don't know, like 100 or ideally 150 of those events per week, uh, it, it should work. Like it, it, it should work in, in that case. Yeah, makes so much sense. So it is actually about finding those high intent pages and make sure that Facebook uh, uses that as event. Okay, that's such a great idea. Yeah. I'm going to steal that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Either uh, pages or clicks on buttons or anything like that signals intent or, or it probably you could even somehow set it up with like time on pricing page. Somebody spent 10 minutes on your pricing page or something like that. It signals that they might be, they're reading something there, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and the other thing you mentioned uh, was monitoring the creatives, analyzing the creatives. Uh, how does that process work? You already mentioned that hook, you already mentioned that uh, conversion. And like, if you launch a new creative today, what would be the process there? What would be your success metrics? Yeah, so we do we do have like internal benchmarks, right? So you, you, you kind of have quick feedback metrics. So you see right away, like when you launch a creative, if you see that within seven days, it's not even close to the CPA that we want, mm -hmm. something is not working, right? And then you start deep diving. Is it the hook rate? Is it like, are we dropping off people at the, on a certain second so they don't even see a call to action? Do we not communicate USP fast enough? Do we not qualify it fast enough or qualify too fast? Things like that. So then we can start kind of deep dive to understand why exactly it didn't work. But essentially, if you have, if you, if you have given the creative enough freedom, to run wild, to reach audience, to have enough volume, to have enough impressions, to have enough views. Um, and like within our benchmark, it, it just doesn't hit those benchmarks. Then we, we bin the creative and we kind of ideate further. Makes so much sense. Yeah. In our case, we did create those benchmarks and uh, we split those benchmarks into personal. So we have the sales person and marketing personal as ICPs. Uh, but yeah, actually, we didn't have that process uh, as a whole uh, structure. Like, okay, we do check the benchmarks every week. And if it doesn't uh, reach that benchmark, we turn it off. But yeah, that is such interesting concept. Uh, okay, this has been a really interesting call for me. <laughs> there, there, is, there, is, there is one thing that I must add here is that like, if you're a global company, right? So if you're targeting different geos, creatives actually perform differently based on geos plus you have to take into account the volume that the creative has generated like when you compare a creative that has like hundred thousand impressions and creative that has ten thousand impressions the performance could be different as well so that's why like benchmark it is good like we're using them but sometimes we also have to apply that you know additional logic to the creative like hmm actually maybe that was like because we ran it in a different country and performed a little bit differently so I didn't really find a way as of yet to, to have like a, you know, like a universal benchmark checker that you would like assess creatives as fairly as possible. And ideally, like what, what I would love to do probably when you have, you know, when you have like a, a spreadsheet that like with, with a few formulas that um, has like, what's the hook rate? What's the CPA? What's the engagement? What's the level of impressions? And then it gives you like a color coding like you know this is like what we had the average for this ad group or not, not ad group but ad asset or like campaign over the last 45 days and this creative falls 
below average of what this this ad asset or campaign has brought and then quickly you get like instant feedback okay like you know the ctr is lower this is lower something is wrong let's check it so you don't like compare overall like account performance but you also like narrow it down to on a country level at least in your case it could be like on on icp level too yeah like that when you said that it makes complete sense like you actually it's doable like you can probably uh do it with machine learning and especially now that ChatGPT exists it is definitely doable uh like we do have benchmarks on the regional level but we learn it from the hard way like we start with the uh, universal benchmark but then realize that okay what is working in the uk what is working in hima it is not working in the us yeah uh and now probably all of our content is different in the us they are different in the uk they are different in the region and like for example the people in the us they love having some i don't know funny content they love having some uh i don't know content that makes fun of other uh, companies but the people in the uk hate it uh same on linkedin same on pp site like my rsas that are working in the us are completely different and they are the lowest performing ones in the uk Yep, yep. The struggle is real. Like you, you have to account for those differences. There's no, there's no way around it. Because if you if you average too much, like you, you end up making the wrong decisions about about the success of that creative. And speaking of the RSAs, so you worked like I don't know five six years at Google before uh, coming to Santesia. And when you think about it, actually there are two different companies. One of them is Giant, the other is a startup. Even though it is a unicorn, it's still a startup. Like how did it feel like going uh, from a giant to a startup? Yeah, um, it's quite a journey, I must say. So, like for, first of all, I was uh, like when I, when I joined. When I joined Google, it was like seven years ago, pretty much now. Um, I knew that like I will leave at at a certain time. Like I didn't really, even though like I absolutely loved the company and 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 loved it, and like I have n- nothing bad to say about it. I always like felt I I want to join the startup world. The kind of the the hustle, a smaller company, kind of the struggle is real. Like every day you wake up and you know you you know you have to like perform you have to deliver because this is the environment where i believe you learn the most and the quickest when it pushes you constantly to like you know you you might die tomorrow like not literally but like if yeah. you, if you don't if you don't if you, if you don't put in the work if you don't learn if you don't if you don't do things like you will just not not survive so i really wanted to to kind of join this environment so when i joined google i always had like probably i will leave at a certain period of time like maybe after two years after three years but i constantly had like a few challenges coming up so i tried like different roles every every two or three years or so but uh at the end of like pandemic was like at the end of last year i was like okay probably it's kind of time for me to decide if i want to stay in corporate or it's time for me to you know to join the, the startup world and I started to be like really, really selective about the companies that I potentially might join. Like I didn't want to leave just for the sake of leaving. That's just mm-hmm. a wrong, wrong intention to have and wrong motivation. And then I came across Synthesia and I was like, I remember I was like researching the company a little bit. I went on YouTube and I, I just checked like an example video. And I remember myself like leaning towards the screen and like looking at the avatar and how, how the lips are moving and the sound <laughs> and so on. And I'm like, Oh my god this is like surreal like, I, can't, I can't believe like this is not like you know this is not a real person and like obviously like after you watch it a couple of times you see the differences that it's like it's not like as as human like 
as we want as a company to be, but we're getting there. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is it. I, I, I must, I must, uh, I must be part of it. So kind of reached out to, to Jacob uh, from like, he, he, he has the marketing here at Sensesia and we, we started talking and then I went through the interviewing process. So at the end of the day, it was kind of easy to, you know, to say yes, because I, I wasn't running away from something. I was running towards something. And that for me was like super important element of saying yes and like joining the startup world. And it might feel crazy. It might feel scary. I had a few friends telling me like, hey, what are, what are you doing? You have stable, <laughs> stable job, well-paying job. Everything is secure, like uncertain times. Uh, you know, Zuckerberg calling it the year of efficiency, people cutting costs. Like what, what the hell are you doing? But I, I thought it was, you know, it's, it's a good decision for me. I really wanted to have that. Um, you know that kind of the, the the feeling that you get when you're in a smaller company the ownership that you get the level of responsibility and so on so it just it just felt like a great next um next opportunity for me and i'm actually like really happy that i've i've done this i'm i'm having the time of my life so far and it's like kind of only getting started so super super excited about this i couldn't agree more like with everything you just said and actually it just gave me goosebumps it was <laughs> amazing uh speech and yeah i totally agree like you got to leave your comfort zone and li living i'm not going to uh, say working like living in a startup environment te teaches you a lot and yeah. yeah probably now your team is like much smaller than what you had in google uh and with a small team you know that you have to perform, you have to learn and you have to do a lot of stuff. Uh, and in yeah. terms of this, like what uh, were the most challenging things you had uh, once you left Google? Um, I think like w one thing that really, really stood out or like I felt the difference very, very quickly is the speed of execution. So at Synthesia, like we just do things like, you know, when, when like you, you see something cool or like something that could work, it has the potential to improve what we're currently doing, but like, let's do it. And then like the next hour it's implemented or like the worst case scenario, like tomorrow morning it's implemented. So we just like do stuff versus at Google, it was, was much slower. And I, you know, like I understand why, because the, the cost of mistake is huge. Like imagine if, I don't know, like Google, um, I don't know, makes a mistake. It's it's a New York Times tomorrow. And like everybody knows it, about it, the stock price decreased 5% and so on and so on. Versus here, like we have the benefit of being a smaller company and less eyes on us, less pressure on us. And we can execute faster. We can try things faster. Sometimes even if they don't work, it's still like we learn from it. So definitely like the speed of execution was um, was something that stood out for me right away like when i when i compare the two and then the other thing is also like super interesting is kind of this um you know do it yourself mentality so when you have a company like google with so many resources and so many um specialists in, in like specific areas like you know you could be a specialist at google owning like privacy or like implementing enhanced conversions or like consent mode or being like a ga4 specialist that's all you do you're a ga4 specialist versus like here like you wear so many multiple hats every single day like you know today i'm reading the documentation on linkedin api and trying to understand if we can get access to it and tomorrow i'm like troubleshooting the hubspot form the day after tomorrow i'm doing something else so like you're not only marketer but you kind of like you, you know you have this do-it-yourself mentality 
there is like not a lot of people that can help you like it's your team it may be like you know you can reach out for some help to to revops if it's some really critical but like do it yourself mentality is very strong versus at google usually like the roles and responsibilities would be quite clear outlined so you know this team would help you with this this team would help you with that um so that's like another kind of uh, kind of difference and like exposure to, to leadership as well you know like i joined the company and like co-founder uh, scheduled a meeting with me and like coming from a company like google where you have 2000 200,000 employees i was like oh my god you know Im- imagine like sundar or sergey or Lari like scheduling a meeting with me like never ever in a million years but then like you know the co-founder schedules the meetings like hey dude how how are you doing how are things and i'm like good you know like it's 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 great like you know from from this perspective that you you get to sit sit on 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 meetings like more strategic meetings you get to take part in in the decision making process as well where like with a company like google you just like if you're not director level you you kind of you can pass feedback you can try to influence it but it's just a completely different um on a different level it makes uh it makes different sense and this reminds me i had this friend uh he was a product manager at amazon and he told me this story one day he goes to his boss and he says i think i want to change uh the size of this image in the app then his boss sends him uh to this amazon library and he needed to read a document of 70 pages about why that image <laughs> has that size and then he needs to write a refute about why he doesn't think that. And he was like, they actually expect me to write a thesis of 70 pages just to change our image size. So probably you had a similar thing on Google. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, go, it goes back to, you know, the, the cost of mistake is huge. Imagine like when you change the size of that button, you have to like change the code slightly that impacts the script that fires something. And then all of a sudden, like the app doesn't work. Like, you know, it, that's why they have like all the processes. You can't all afford the, it. Exactly. You, like you, you can't afford that, that mistake. So that's why it, it takes longer. It takes, you know, you have processes in place. You have reviewers in place before kind of any decision goes, decision goes through. Um, and, it, and, it, and it makes sense, right? When you, when you validate it, like when the, when the value of, of your company is, is, is such huge and you publicly traded company, um, there are like, your your shareholders like expecting you not to make mistakes like this so it's just yeah it's just the way like i don't think there's any kind of way around it if you once you get to a certain size you just you just get slower yeah definitely like now i'm using google as every day i'm using linkedin as every day and if something happens and if i cannot access uh, get access to that account i would be farming and if as an advertiser i cannot reach that account uh probably it won't be good for shareholders as well and it yeah, would be yeah. a public disaster yeah, yeah imagine like you cannot change your budgets for two days yeah i mean <laughs> maybe you might remember after google made that layoff of like ten thousand people uh yeah. one day later uh something happened to google s and i couldn't reach google s for like three hours four hours and i was like okay you laid off th- that amount of people but I mean, you should have seen, have seen that coming. Google is your most important engine. Come on. Maybe, maybe somebody was mad that, uh, you know, uh, they got I mean, laid off. So they I, just like left, uh, <laughs> left, left, left the tiny code change. That's my theory. Like if I got laid off, uh, probably this is what I would have done. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned about this uh, 
move fast and break things mindset, uh, which I totally agree with. Like you do it, and if you break something, then you can fix it. That's okay. And also, I believe this is showing the mindset of the leadership. Uh, because if this doesn't come from leadership, uh, you won't feel uh that I would say mindset. Like, how does the whole marketing team work? Like, uh, do does everyone uh move? that fast or is it just for the paid team yeah so like i i, I kind of agree like with move fast and break things but i kind of don't on another level um so like what what we try to apply is uh, like do things quickly and do everything so they don't break right so <laughs> so <laughs> okay this is better <laughs> so you yeah it's not just like let's do something because we want to do it and even if it breaks it's fine it's more like Let's do it because it has the the upside potential, but we are also considering the downside potential. And even like, you know, the experiments that we run specifically on the paid side, we're always thinking about the downside potentials because it's very rare that you would have an opportunity that doesn't have any downside. Even if it might sound like the best opportunity in the world, like probably it has some downside that you have to account for. And it's not always like a clear cut, like yes or no. Obviously, like if you're, you know, if your paid media is in a terrible state, like if you have like mistake after mistake and you don't like optimize ever. And it's like from a scale from one to 10, your account is like two. There are like no brainers opportunities here or there. But if you're already like in, you know, you, you already kind of have like B plus, maybe A minus or A level account across paid. Like it's it's very rare that like it would change something that would like give you like 100% increase overnight. And then it's like amazing. Like usually it would have, kind of downsides as well to, to any kind of changes that you make. So so we're thinking about it for like, and, and the way I'm thinking about it from, from the perspective of um, not just break things, but like minimize the chance of breaking. But if it breaks, what can we learn from it? What, how can we apply it in the future and just, just move on? And this is like, you know, the, the kind of the mentality of the leadership as well. And that's like where I appreciate like working, you know, with Jacob and, and leadership overall that, you know, they're like, just cut it like if it doesn't work let's cut it like you know let's move on let's uh let's you know let's let's find something else that that might work um kind of you know um th th these are the losses like i don't know like i would say like cut your losses right like we we want sometimes we, we get so invested into something that we want it to work and we like we we try to find all the best numbers for it to work but it just doesn't so you know like cut yeah. your losses that's a sun cost like move on to something else but just make sure you cut it like fast enough. Don't really drag it on. You know, if it if it doesn't perform, just like cut, go and try something else. So so yeah, move fast, break things, but also like move fast and try to minimize breaking things. I I would say like. I agree, and in with uh, what you said uh, in the beginning, you said uh, you generally uh, give it a week, and after a week, uh, if the metrics are not close to benchmarks, you kill it. Uh, so can we say on average, you start with like a week, uh, to understand if it is working or not, or is it longer or shorter for, for Facebook? Yes. For Facebook, it depends on, on the test, like for, for meta in general, like week, sometimes maybe eight days, right. If you have like weekends and, and so on, you might give it an extra like day or, or two beyond the week. But for other platforms, it really depends. Like generally, like if we talk about Google or if we talk about LinkedIn, at least four weeks like 
also depends on, on the level of the test you're doing, like how complicated it is, how much data you need to validate the results, how much data you need to make sure that they are statistically significant. If you do like a pre and post and you have, you know, 10 demos versus like 15 now, like, oh my God, we got like 50% more demos. But no, no, like it's not statistically significant. You might have an outlier one day and that's it. Like you need to have proper like proper data and it just takes takes a long period of time so it depends it depends on the platform uh for for facebook it would be much quicker especially depends like on your volumes but for um for google and for linkedin linkedin especially like it's it's even longer and speaking of the tests uh what are some of the new stuff that you are testing and you already mentioned that if the test doesn't work you just don't leave it there but you also work on why it doesn't work so uh is there a recent failed test and what did you learn from that oh yeah like so many failed tests like i mean i i actually want like people to talk about more failed tests than 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 successful tests because like everywhere you look like oh my god like we've done this oh my god it changed the company oh my god it improved the ROAS by 50 percent roi by 300 percent like but is it like did it really like what what are your losses if you don't have losses landed like it means that you're doing something wrong or, or like you're not being 100 truthful so uh so yeah like one one uh, one thing that i like i really wanted to work but it didn't it was like really recent i, I think i did i finished the assessment of the test uh, i think last friday so we we like we wanted to test shifting budgets towards weekdays versus the weekends so instead of like turning off like paid stuff on the weekend because we do get leads on the weekend as well it's just not at the same conversion rate and not at the same cost per, per demo so we were like okay probably by you know by shifting the budgets towards towards weekday manually and reducing them manually on the weekend like you would get a better performance it turned out no Turned out actually, actually like in our case like it wasn't like it didn't do terrible it was like really on par maybe 0.00 like one percent like worse across across the board but still it was worse across the board and the learning was actually that you know like google smart bidding it actually like bids down substantially on the weekend and the traffic that you get on the weekend is very cheap and sometimes it knows that this specific user on this specific weekend has a very high chance of becoming mql or or lead and it would bid up for it so ultimately like when we looked at the kind of the performance like it really bids down on the weekend automatically so we don't spend as much uh and when we were over kind of spending or over bidding on the weekdays we increased our cpc so ultimately we hurt our performance during the weekdays so by improving the performance uh, by hurting the performance on the weekdays and by improving it kind of manually on the weekends it didn't really kind of overcompensate uh, at the end of the day to to run with the strategy and i think we might we might come back to it because there's no like really really easy way to test it uh, from like a b perspective especially on on google because even if you run, run like experiments like a b experiments one one of the things you cannot change in the control in the experiment group is changing the budgets and that's exactly what we were testing so there wasn't like an easy way to to do it unless like we had to do pre and post and i hate doing pre and post unless you absolutely have no other choice um and we like ran into like a bit of a seasonality issues plus you also have like changes on the website changes to the pricing page that might have impact the conversion rates so in this case we had to go with the pre and post um and the results were super close so we might come back to this experiment in the future um but for now like it it it, it didn't perform so you cut your losses and you move on and then i remember that thursday i was just like okay canceling the automated rules canceling budget changes and uh, just uh, getting on with my life and 
uh, yeah. Actually, same thing happened to me on LinkedIn. Uh, and on the cognitive side, we are running rich campaigns. So actually, we are not even after uh, direct conversions. So to be fair, both on the weekdays and weekends, uh, the daily budget is the same and it spends the same money. And I'm like, nobody uh, visits LinkedIn on weekends. So do we really need to spend that money on the weekends? And unlike Google, there's an automated rule on LinkedIn. Uh, I was pausing the campaign, <laughs> not, not pausing, but I, I was decreasing the campaigns by myself, like manually, uh, with CSU files like this. Uh, and my account manager kept saying me that it is not good. But I'm like, can you prove it? And after like uh, several weeks, uh, they finally came out uh, with some data that I would believe. Apparently, if you decrease the campaign budget on the weekend, it also decreases the quality score of your campaign. And guess what? You cannot see the quality score uh, in the front end. Like it's not like Google. Apparently, uh, it was in the back end. Then they publish it uh, to the public, but still, it is not front end. You need to export that data. Uh, and even if your quality score uh, gets better throughout the week, uh, it still keeps your audience penetration in the same level, in the certain level. So you cannot actually reach 100% of the people. You only reach like 30% of the people, 35% of the people. I was like, okay, but probably you should have told me this way earlier because <laughs> I have been pausing my, uh, I, I have been decreasing my campaign budget for like four weeks, five weeks. But yeah, we live and we learn. That's so, that's so interesting. And it's like, a, like, it's easy to sell something that like under the hood black box. Oh, that's how it works. But like, you don't see it on the front end. So I would be like really, you know, careful about like how, how you approach it. But it's interesting from, from this perspective, like that you would be penalized for decreasing your budgets. Yeah. And when you actually think about it, it is so wrong. Like it is so yeah, wrong yeah. in so many levels. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And uh, one thing I would like to ask you is the current uh, landscape, like current tech landscape. We all know that uh, anything with AI in it is now getting a huge interest. And uh, Synthesia is benefiting from AI, like you are actually building an AI tool. Uh, like how does uh, Synthesia benefit from this? And like how do you utilize this in your paydays? Oh, we, we get it, like... We get massive benefit, if I'll be honest. Like you know, <laughs> no, but it's 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 true, right? Because if you ha like w once like ChatGPT came out and it just took over the world, literally, and you know the app is not allowing you to log in, or, like because there's a huge queue and generating so much buzz, and I think they had like a record of of number of active users that they got within like two weeks or something. I think like, Threads just beat them recently, but it's a questionable story and not really a fair <laughs> comparison. Um, but um but like people started like looking into ai more they're like oh okay what is generative ai and then you all of a sudden had like all these smaller companies popping up like we do this with ai we do this with ai and all of a sudden you have like hundreds and thousands of like you know best ai tools like 100 best ai tools 100 best ai tools for text for video and so on and we get featured in those right because we probably like the biggest company like in in this space and been here for the longest period of time so naturally when when these kind of like lists of best tools get shared, when people talk about it more, um, you know, 
we are more likely to get like PR exposure as well now because like it's it's a topic that people are interested in. So like media outlets would be posting about them, would be communicating about them. So we would get our name or like all over the places and like get that extra exposure. So it hundred percent helps when you have that AI interested, and especially when you have the gener generative AI interest in in the market and in the world happening. Um, so like now that we see like AI hype like coming coming down, you know, and people just like not as excited like not as excited about it as they were initially, like the first few days of ChatGPT, let's say. It's still a big deal and still continues, but not as it's not on its uh, highest right now. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, but we, we do benefit from it from it greatly. And then in terms of like using it in our ads, I think like, yeah, like like we, we do, we use it across, you know, across uh, pretty much like all of our ads because like I, I strongly believe that the avatar sells. Like when you see our product, like when you see like an actual like digital human like speaking in the ad, like it's, um, my my personal opinion, like it, it like that's kind of why I joined Synthesia. When I saw that avatar on YouTube, I was like, oh my god, like it <laughs> it sells. But like once you understand the product a bit more, we are like far from just being a digital avatar or like digital human or talking head or however you would call it. It's more about you know making the video editing capability easier. You have you log in, you are able to you know create as a slide, add background, change text, fonts, whatever you need, like you know, add the voice, like AI generated voice, change the voice, change avatar, embed this video then into learning management system or like man management software. So let's say if you need to come back half a year later because something changed in your script in your video, you just adjust the script, click generate, and it's all updated in your learning management system. So it's so much more than than AI, like the, the avatar itself. But this is what people resonate with. This is what's the easiest to understand. I'm like, oh, okay, they make like, you know, digital um, digital AI avatars, like cool. Like we might be interested in that, but we are so much more than that. Um, but we we obviously use use kind of product product demo and showing how it works and, and showing like the end result of the product and, and so on. So, yeah. Yeah, I love your product. Like I love your website, I love your product and I love your, love your avatars. So yeah. Uh <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll uh, I'll record a snippet of, of this and send it to our product team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love your product. Uh, and before uh, we wrap it up, uh, we have this question that I ask everyone uh, joins to my episodes. Uh, what do you think changed in digital marketing in the last couple of years? And what are the things that you used to do like a couple of years ago, but you cannot do now? Oh yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one. So I th I think like um, especially with me like you know I have I have like quite a lot of B two C experience, um right. So I worked like a lot a lot of um, a lot of businesses mostly. It was like both e commerce and and retail and more traditional, less traditional. You know, upper funnel media, TV, digital out of home, digital purely, YouTube. So like across across the board, but mostly it was like B B two C, right? So mass reach, mass awareness. You track a little bit different KPIs and 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 so on. Um. So now like that like the last like few months that I kind of really delved into the B two B world, and I like I'm reading a lot, researching a lot, um, just just learning a lot about the B two B world and. I was doing like a lot of research, for example, in, into ABM because that's like one of the things I want to I want to do a little bit better in the future, um, and like that's one thing that like people were not doing before. If you if you if you, I, I even like uh, used Google search trends and and kind of like t 
type uh, account based uh, marketing and like it gained popularity like 2022 and onwards so before that like people were not searching about it they were not interested about it so that's like a relatively like new concept that hasn't been really developed like 10 or 20 years maybe it has been like developed 10 or 20 years ago but it's been like picked up and and used like in marketing recently so that's like one thing that like probably three four years ago people were not doing but now like everybody is talking about it and if you're not doing abm you're like what are you doing right so it's 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 kind of like definitely a, bi a big trend and it goes hand in hand with it with another trend like linkedin advertising grows and the revenue that linkedin as, as a company is generating and like ultimate like microsoft but like if you look at statistics i was looking at this at this as well because i'm really obsessed about linkedin recently like it's 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 kind of like a obsession i don't know what's gonna grow into but it's it's super super <laughs> big big obsession so i was looking like at the, at the revenue that like linkedin is is generating and like if we compare like 2018 to like now i think they had like a 3x growth in, in terms of revenue so more and more advertisers are coming to the platform there are like budget shifts obviously you know like broadly speaking like tv viewership is declining like advertisers are pushing this budget somewhere else bigger companies that were not previously on linkedin or not thinking about it are coming to linkedin so nature like this is the platform grows i hope it's going to develop as a platform as well because it's like probably the least sophisticated kind of software that i use at the moment and it's sometimes such a big pain in the ass but somehow you love it still uh, and you, you try you try to kind of you're trying to kind of try to, to to work with this so that's like another like massive change like on linkedin like gaining popularity and you know a lot of thought leaders are appearing in this space and talking about linkedin ads and like trying to crack the code and and saying that cpc of like 30 pounds is okay don't worry about it <laughs> uh, of course i'm worried about it when you pay like 20 20 pounds per, per click thank you very much um but yeah you know like more ai also in marketing just like recently you know as a refreshing like copies that we have and just going to chat gpt you kind of this is like the current copy that i have generate me a few ideas so like this is the product so using ai more i think we'll just be using it even more and more in the future for marketing like for automation hopefully even for data analysis because you know data analysis especially like I mean, for, for all platforms, essentially, like it takes a lot of time and you can, if you can simplify that, if you can make it better, if you can like cut the time that you need to make any kind of, you know, um, thorough analysis of the test that you're running and so on. I hope, you know, like automation and AI will, will help, will help in that, uh, in that space as well. Video content on the rise too. That's another big thing, you know, like the recent, like, I think we're going to be moving more and more into video content in the future. It just like, it's, it's just the way that people consume information right now. Like the attention spam is, is decreasing. Nobody wants to read law and tax. It's very rare that people spend the time actually to, to read something. You have to be an amazing writer and you have to communicate, like have to have like humor or you ha really have to be good at like communicating copy in, in a written format. So video is on the rise and like we're gonna be just moving towards more and more video. And that's kind of like what, what, what we are doing and, and on, on the ads front, that's that's what we're using. Even Google is getting more visual. All of a sudden you have these like logos, pictures are added, you know, and it just becomes like like the experience more mobile, more visual rather than, than long text and, um, and so on. Yeah, I think I agree with all of them. And with videos, they are getting cheaper. Like you can produce a video for a cheaper price. So now it is getting more widespread and it is getting faster. You don't need to wait for a video creator for a week or two. Uh, for ABM and LinkedIn, totally agree. Like probably even if ABM existed 10 years ago, probably it was about sending emails to specific oh, yeah. amount of people. Yeah, but now yeah. we are talking about... Uh, 
all bound ABR strategies, like targeting the same company from each channel, targeting yeah. specific titles. And uh, like, I think LinkedIn enabled it, like uh, with company targeting on LinkedIn, uh, they basically killed all of those ABM tools and uh, like proved that ABM can be done easily. Uh, and yeah, hopefully LinkedIn will get better. I do have the love and hate relationship. It is such an easy <laughs> platform, but also useless. And especially if you are coming from Google, if you are coming from Facebook, like when you compare those two platforms, oh my goodness, like yeah. the data compared, compared with previous print option came like a couple of months ago. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm spending hundred thousand dollars, $200,000, and I cannot even compare that data. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we are going there. Uh, we are going there. Yeah, I, I really, I really hope so that like that, you know, that, that kind of cash that they're making, that they're just going to invest in the platform a bit. And they, I don't really, they don't lose this momentum as well. Cause it's, uh, I actually haven't looked at the, the, at the user growth of, of LinkedIn, like how much is growing like year on year, because that's like it's another cha- challenge for them. Right. How do they, how do they attract like more people? Cause now it's like LinkedIn is more like europe i would say you know north america for sure um probably like australia new zealand but i don't think it's as developed like let's say in eastern europe um middle east i'm not i'm not sure as well so it's also for them as a company like a challenge how to how to grow the user base um because that would be like another incentive for advertisers to come in um and you know have like pay pay the money to to advertise on you know to, to these people so I think the revenue is growing, but I hope the user base is growing as well because it means they will be investing. They will be investing more in in the platform. You are right because when you think about that region as a whole, they already have a LinkedIn duplicate, Zinc, and uh, people mostly use Zinc instead of LinkedIn. And probably there's still a lot of room to improve uh, for even in Europe. And I think it hasn't reached the full potential. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And or maybe talk- something better than LinkedIn comes along. I'm I'm happy to take it as long as it's better, you know. Yeah, I heard some rumors about Salesforce is building a LinkedIn clone. Uh, not sure really? if uh it is real, but I actually read it in a couple of uh different articles, so it might be coming. Hmm. I mean, like, I generally think that hiring is broken. That's another topic we probably won't get into on on this <laughs> podcast. But if something can be better than LinkedIn, like to help people find great companies and great companies find great people, like I'm, I'm all up for that. We as advertisers will just yeah. change the platform and, you know, and find our way in that new platform. And fun fact, if you Google LinkedIn user growth rate year on year, you come up with a Cogism article. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done. Well done. Uh, well, Thank you so much for joining me today, Boris. Uh, it was such an amazing call. I love it. Uh, before we wrap it up, do you like to say uh, anything except that you're hiring? Yes, he's hiring. <laughs> and if you are listening, you need to apply for Santasia. No, I mean, like, obviously, please do. Please do. I don't know when exactly this podcast is going to is gonna air. Like, we, we, we move pretty quickly. I'm pretty confident we're going to close somebody in, in two weeks. So maybe by the time the oh. podcast is there, like, the role is going to be closed. But but I, I, like, similar to you, I love talking to marketers. I, I love, like, geeking out about marketing, about paid, about performance, about, like, experimentation. If people don't want to reach out, you know, share experience. If you crack the code on LinkedIn, I don't know, drop me a message. I'd love to, to buy you a beer and, like, talk to you <laughs> uh, and, you know, share, share things that, that we are doing because... 
you know live live and learn basically uh so yeah do do reach out i'm, I'm always like welcoming chats and super open as a person amazing thank you so much boys thank you as well have a wonderful rest of the day you too bye, -bye.